The Incomparable Podcast, number 24, Book Club, for February 2011. We are back on The Incomparable Podcast. I am Jason Snell, your host. The topic today is books. And if you've tuned in, can you tune in a podcast to hear us talk about Dexter Palmer's delightful book, The Dream of Perpetual Motion, which features Zeppelins. I have some bad news for you. Lots of people are still reading it or are promising to read it soon. So so we're going we're gonna to do it, but it's going to be in a few more weeks. In the interim, we have a book club podcast that we've cobbled together on short notice because it turns out that four members of the vast, incomparable conspiracy have read many books in the Vorkosigan saga by Lois McMaster Bujold. And so the, so we're going to talk about that. That's what our topic is today. If you have not read these books, it's okay. We're going to be light on the spoilers at the beginning. Then we're going to fire off the spoiler horn and you need to run away until you've read them all because they're great. Joining me today to talk about the Vorkosigan saga on the other end of the internet is exactly opposite me on the internet is Scott McNulty. Scott, thank you for joining us. Thank you for keeping me an internet's away. An internet's length away, yes. <laughs> exactly. I like you. I like you there. I know where to find you on the other side mm-hmm. of the internet. Right. Here with me in San Francisco in our makeshift studio is Serenity Caldwell. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jason. And across from me in the same very studio is the man who introduced these books to me. It is his own fault that we are having this conversation because he loves them so much. It's the one, the only, the on every podcast, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. It's so good to be back. You know, it's been a while. I know. Or at least a couple weeks. At least a couple weeks. Who knows? I actually don't know in, in, in podcast in, time. In which order how I long post, it's been. I post Maybe it hasn't been a while. <laughs> it could. It's possible. It's possible. So the Vorkosigan saga, I, I think, Dan, I have to start with you um, to – to talk about how you maybe how you discovered these books and 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 what what that was all about because you I, I blame you um, As do I, I yes I heard about these books back actually when I was in college so probably about ten years ago um, I was looking for something to read and it was one of the uh, the series that had been recommended to me by. Um, to my my cousin and her husband, both of whom are avid science fiction and fantasy readers, um, and both are teachers as well. And they they have provided me over the years with many great recommendations in the science fiction and and fantasy genres. So um, I, you know, that came with a good uh, seal of approval on it. So I I picked them up. And at the time, you could actually get... um, a lot of the the single uh, uh, um, volumes, a lot of them have now been collected into omnibuses, um, and a lot of the single volumes, I think, are out of print or harder to get. Um, but I started reading um, – I think I started with the actual first books in the series, which uh, at the time was an omnibus, Cordelia's Honor, which collects the first two books, um, Shards of Honor and Barriar. Um, and I, I definitely started reading the first one and was a little – uh, not not quite sucked in. It felt very much like a traditional science fiction story to me, and I was I was like, okay, this is all right. And I got sort of bagged down halfway through, and then I came back to it, and really enjoyed it and finished it up. And then I read Barriar, which I think is is to me really uh, got me sucked into the whole world that she's created here. And 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 then from then I was sort of off and running, and I devoured all of the books um, pretty rapidly, which at the point at that point was all the way up to a, a civil campaign, I believe. And then not long after I finished, Diplomatic Community came out. And then it was many, many years until the most recent book, Cryoburn, came out this past fall. Scott, uh, is is it Dan's fault that you've read these books or uh, did you discover them on your own? Uh, it is, in fact, Dan's fault that I'm reading these books. <laughs> we all blame you. Wow. Dan. So he really is the uh, the one who started all this for us. He is. The instigator. Troublemaker. You I know, prefer. I, my memory of them is that I, I at some point made a vow to read all the Hugo Award winning novels and discovered that there were all of these books that were part of a series. And I thought to myself, um, oh, God, I'm going to have to start reading a series and read a bunch of other books in the series in order to get to all the books that won the uh, Hugo Award. And uh, so until Dan came out and said, oh, it's my favorite, you can read them. And so now I've actually knocked them off. Bariar actually won a, a Hugo Award. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Vore Game. Didn't well, the Vore Game win a At Hugo least one of them won a Nebula both Award. the Hugo and the Nebula, yeah. which is one of only a few, I believe. So, so um, 
let's talk premise here first off because we haven't fired off the spoiler horn. For those who don't know what the the Vorkosigan saga, I enjoy saying that, is about. It's a it's a sci-fi series. It's set in the future. There are a whole bunch of different planets. Uh, the, the Earth is around, but it's kind of a backwater. And we've got uh, – this is essentially the story of a family because the first two books are, a, are about the parents of who is really the guy who's the protagonist for most of the books, who is Miles Vorkosigan. Also, it's important to note there are no real aliens. No aliens. All no. humans. That's Everyone true. has sort of started at Earth and spread in, and humans have sprawled outwards from there. Humans are the most alien of all. <laughs> if they look inside themselves. And genetic creations and genetic mutations play a big part in the story as it progresses. But it's definitely mostly humanoid, <clears throat> if nothing else. Yes. There are a couple there are a couple quadis. of books that have to do with yes, quadis yes. and a couple other mutations and and the, and the like. Um but I think I think that's kind of what drew me to it is I think um, at the time, I had burned out a lot on on aliens, um, especially after you know being a fan of things like Star Trek, which which I still enjoy. But um, you know the 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 sort of recurring problems with with uh, sci fi franchises in which aliens are look look they're people, but they look kind of different. They got funny <laughs> foreheads or whatever. Yeah. And so I kind of I, I was very intrigued in this uh, complicated. Uh, you know, it's sort of a space opera, but it's got these really heavy elements of drama. One of the things I love, sort of generally speaking, is that she, um, uh, Bujold, plays with genre a lot in that various books sort of delve in and out of other genres as well, including things like romance, mystery, um, you know, science fiction, uh, fantasy. You know, like I think it plays political, a lot. There's some political mm. intrigue. There's a lot of political intrigue, mm. uh, especially in, in many of the later books. Um, and But at the at its heart – it's it's an adventure story, um, and I think that's kind of what I love. Is for me like that, you know, when especially with dealing with Miles, you've got this sort of r- very charismatic, roguish central figure who goes on all these adventures um, and and sort of sweeps in and out of people's lives, and and he's a lot of fun to follow. Scott, what uh, what what were your first impressions of this series as you as you read through it? Because you've read obviously you didn't despise it because you you like me have read like eight of them now. I have in. Pretty much one right after the other. Uh, I did take a break and read another book, and then I dove back into them. Uh, I thought, when I first read about them, after Dan mentioned them, I was fairly certain that I wouldn't like them. Well, Uh, I mean, Dan uh, mentioned them, right? So right there, that's a strike against it. You have to wonder. Uh, He likes Star Wars, so really. (laughs) Uh, There it is. Another time, McNulty, another podcast. But I decided I'll give it a shot. Because uh, the the publisher Bain had uh, basically posted like 14 million of them for free on the internet, right? So you could you can download almost except for one memory. Memory you have to buy, which I did. Uh, that's how they get you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right, they give away ten books so you can buy one book yep. for four dollars. They're brilliant. But Genius. it worked, didn't it? It did work. It, it did. They got my. Uh, I, it, it did annoy me though that I couldn't buy it from Amazon uh, as an ebook. I had to use their web subscription thing. But anyway, that's another thing. Uh, so I, I obviously I liked it, uh, and I continue to like it. Uh, I I don't know why I didn't think I would like it. Uh, mostly because I guess my default is that I will not like something new. <laughs> it's healthy. I'm could, a curmudgeon. It could be poisonous. You never know. It, it could be. Who knows? Unless it's, unless uh, it's a new Kindle. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> then I know I'll love it. Aww. Um But I did enjoy it. And I, I thought – I think it was a nice kind of break from – I had been reading a lot of kind of literary science fiction, you know, where authors are trying to do things and – Like the dream of perpetual motion, uh, perhaps. Like the dream of – exactly, which is not perhaps the easiest thing to read and the author is clearly trying to play with the genre a lot and the, the concepts of – fiction and doing a bunch of flashy writing uh and not to say that uh Bujold is a is a, a bad writer because i think she's a very good writer but she like dan said at the base like at the bottom of these it's just kind of a fun adventure story and then she weaves in a lot of very kind of interesting themes and ruminations on on things uh, so that on you know a deeper level you can think about larger themes, but if you don't really want to think, you can just enjoy Miles uh, ruining other people's lives <laughs> as he barrels through the universe. She's yeah. never really hitting you over the head with anything. You know, it just comes kind of comes naturally. Yeah, I mean the 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 books are 
they are yeah they're not they're not flashy they're not showy but they are adventurous and to Dan's point the 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 genre playing with the genres I I really love the fact that you can have books that are essentially um, about uh, some variation on human culture that sprung up on some crazy planet somewhere um, like the Cetagondans who are are played as the bad bad guys and then at a later point uh, that you get to know more about them and they seem a little bit they're still bad but they're bad in a very particular way yeah and i mean they're, they're not black and white mm. right exactly and then and then you've got the political intrigue at home which is interesting i mean one of the things about this about this series that's fascinating to me is that is that uh you know to put it in the least spoilery terms possible th- there are essentially two kind of tracks there's the track of the home world of the vorkosigans which is bariar and it's a uh, there's an emperor and there's political machinations and there's power and there's sort of a backstory there because they were cut off yep. from culture for a while and they sort of receded into um, sort of a feudalism Feudal, yeah, yeah feudalism yeah. and then and then they were reconnected um, but then there's the kind of high adventure on the high seas part of it, which is these interstellar like pirates and 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 uh, warring uh, warring planets and and mercenaries and I th- I may all be of that mistaken, stuff too. And I think a part of it, you know, one of the inspirations I think, if I recall, that was cited are the um, the uh, Horatio Hornblower novels, which are sort of a Napoleonic war um, stories following this one particular. Uh, a uh, guy who works in a uh, British naval officer and as he progresses through the ranks and becomes all these – goes through all these different uh, adventures and interesting encounters over the course of the wars. And it's very – follows a progression in the same way that the Miles books do, which is that they follow his life. Except he's got the two sides of his life, right? Right. And that, that's mm-hmm. an interesting – That's an interesting – uh, quirk because it it allows you like I, I found myself actually really liking what goes on in Bariar which I thought originally was going to be kind of a crushing bore and 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 it turns out that sometimes I'm like I think possibly because I read the series chronologically which not everybody does because she actually wrote them way out of order chronologically but having read them chronologically you start with his parents and you start on Bariar after the you know in that second book and I felt kind of tied to Bariar at that point so when they get the high adventure in the universe that's fun but I'm also like you know what's the political intrigue going on back home see it's funny because I started with Warrior's Apprentice which is the first book with Miles. That's and right. The it's, third book in the series. Exactly. Which starts kind of interstellar, high space travel, fun, debauchery kind right. of thing. And so <laughs> is when there I, debauchery? I... There's a little bit of debauchery here right. and there. I would I, I would say. PG-13 debauchery. Yeah. Right. PG-13 debauchery. But um, there's, a, there's a certain point in the series where it takes a turn away from the interstellar space travel. And when I first realized that, I'm like, oh, no, but Baria reminds me of Robert Jordan novels. I don't want to go there. And... I was – yeah, I know. I, I, I often – and I have I have made a number of people beyond just incomparable related people read uh, this series. You made them? I've, you made them. I strapped Forced them down. Them. Um, uh, I've like recommend- a clockwork orange. <laughs> He's sort of like a personal trainer for books. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, oh. No, I've recommended it to many people and I often recommend people start with The Warrior's Apprentice because I think it's more indicative of the series as a whole. And that's kind of tough because I think you you learn a lot if you start at the beginning. There's a lot of foundation set that becomes important later on. There are callbacks to um, you know Bariar and, and Shards of Honor and all of the stuff that you learn in there really plays very heavily into where everything yeah. goes. You don't need to know it, but it adds a whole deeper level of understanding if you have read those I first. Re- I really like Cordelia's Honor. I don't think it would have worked as well if I had just read Shards of Honor, which is the first book. But as an omnibus with both of them together, you need, I, I it really worked. For me. If you're going to read one, you have to read both because yeah. I think they really – they're two halves of the same sort of Funny, story. Funny since she didn't write them in order. She yes. she wrote part of the second one and then gave it up and wrote The uh, Warrior's Apprentice instead. Right. And then came back to it much later. But it, as, a, as an omnibus edition, it, it, reads, uh, it reads really well. Yes. And in some ways, I feel like Shards of Honor to me feels kind of abrupt as an ending as a – at least I, when I read it, I felt very much like a – the story is just getting started. You know, I think I might have actually read that as a kid because I, when I was in high school, I subscribed to Analog Magazine. Mm-hmm. And I think it may have actually been serialized in there because it seems sort of familiar. Although there are other sci-fi series like like that where there are, you know, Earth cultures have spread out and there aren't really any aliens or there aren't very many aliens. Right. You know, the – the um, John Barnes has a series, the the uh, Thousand Cultures or Million Open Doors, I think, is the name of the first book in that series, and you know there are some others. So it seemed kind of familiar, but 
Um, you know, that 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 even that early book kept me guessing because I thought I was going to see a story that was about the two characters kind of walking across the desert and surviving for the whole book. And that's like four chapters and then they're they, they, they're found. <laughs> that's actually found. something that I really love about the way Lois McMahon structures her novels is that with a lot of novels that you read, you know, there's a crisis of some kind like, oh, the characters get trapped here or they're imprisoned or something like that. And you expect in a normal novel, you're all right, that's going to be two thirds of the novel. And then, you know, that's going to lead all the way up to the end. She loves putting her characters in crazy situations and then immediately resolving the situation and dealing with the aftermath. And that kind huh. of carries on over a bunch of different books. And I found that really fascinating because you you expect something and then you get completely thrown off track to a different place. And it makes the reading very enjoyable. What what say you, Scott? Uh, Barriar or High Universe Adventure? Or do, you, do you come down on either side of that? Uh, I enjoy both. I think I would come down on Barriar a little bit more um, I, just because – I like all of those characters more than I like the the mercenary band. Uh, I think yeah, well, they're a little more fleshed out. They're more more good characters, I think, on Bariar, where the mercenary, they kind of there are a few, but they kind of cycle through them. And Bariar, you've got that complex kind of society, and you got the emperor, who is actually a fascinating, you know, great character. Mm-hmm. That that you every, I mean, how many. Books do you read or movies do you see where there's an emperor and you know that the absolute power is going to corrupt him and he starts out as a kid and you know, oh God, he's going to be a monster. And one of the interesting things about Emperor Gregor in in this series is he's a guy, you know, and he's got his flaws. But, but you know, I, I – having read through, you know, memory – you know, he he. They could have gone down that route, and there's actually a moment in one of the early books where he gets bad advice, and mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh, geez, it's going to be bad." But no, it's it, it's not about it's not it's not quite down that path. It's more complicated than that. And, right. and, and we I like do that have about a, we do have our monstrous uh, royalty characters, right? But they're earlier on, on right? Um, I and mean, he has and, to live them down. I mean, I want to speak to you know, sort of branching off from from Gregor there, which the thing that makes these books so good and so addictive really to me in terms of like coming back to them and, and you know, not being able to put them down um, is the characters. And I think that is the far and away Bujold's strong suit is creating characters who are, who feel real, you know, who feel, who are, who are fleshed out, who are three-dimensional, even, even characters who seem like minor characters um, seem like caricatures turn out to have a lot of depth and reality to them. Um, and even if they're not the characters on whom the, the, the spotlight shines, so much of the attention focuses on Miles. And he is a fascinating and wonderful character. Um, but so many of the supporting cast, like Gregor, who is not, he's not, he, he gets, you know, pushed to the forefront in a couple of the stories, but a lot of it, he only appears maybe in a few scenes. But he, he, there's something about so many of the characters that when they show up, further down the road um you always you have a kind of a, a fond memory of them and you're glad to see them um and i think she said at one point something like people always you know were asking her uh, every time she put out a book but what about this character and what about this character you know if i put in all the characters that people want to see this book would be like a thousand pages long <laughs> right um, mean, meanwhile at the polar station on Bariyar, a guy that you met in book four is cleaning out a drain <laughs> Oh, that guy. My job he was sucks, great. he said. <laughs> um, they, but, he's my know. favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> they all have such unique, devilishly fun voices, though. You know, I mean, as you said, even the minor characters, they're on, you know, they're on screen for maybe a couple pages and you know exactly who they are. They, you know exactly – there's never any dialogue conversation between like Miles and one of the other characters that sounds like it's – if you closed your eyes, you couldn't tell which person was speaking. Mm. You know, they, they all have very distinct characteristics. If you read a line of dialogue from the book without telling you who it is, I bet it would be much easier to figure out which character was speaking than, say, from another non-Forgosigan novel. It sure helps that, that you have this many books to tell the story because you do get to sort of weave them in and out and they do feel sort of like old friends after a while. And it's they don't like need – watching a TV show when like right. a recurring character comes back and you're like, that guy. I love that guy. <laughs> right, right. The train cleaner. Yeah. You, you don't need six <laughs> months. You can just – you know, you, you know six, or, or six chapters with the guy. You, you, can, you can drop in here and then there and, and, and you know, whether it's his – 
uh, Miles' poor cousin Ivan. Ivan. Oh, I love Aww. Ivan. Everyone you know, loves Ivan. You can't is, not love Ivan. Ivan's who, wonderful. Who is very charming and 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 does ter- has terrible things done to him by Miles because he's family, and even though he knows he's going to get in trouble, and 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 Miles' parents, who you know obviously carry two books all mm-hmm. all on their own, Gregor the Emperor, and then in the in the mercenary fleet, you've got a couple characters there too who are who are uh, who actually some of whom seem initially to be not that important. Who this is this is a cannon fodder character who ends up becoming becoming an incredibly important character later on. So mm-hmm. so there's there's lots of uh there, there's lots of that. Um although when you talk about really well-defined characters, let's talk for a second about the character of Miles because Miles is the one character who I, I guess Everybody, is he consistent or is he just kind of outrageous? And I, I feel like in the later books, in the later books, he gets some self awareness, but yeah. early on, he just is all—he's a mess. He's all over the place. Well, I mean, my favorite phrase to describe him, and I can't remember which which character utters it. It might be Ivan. Um, my, you know, you can't not think of him without thinking of him as the hyperactive little git, which to me <laughs> totally, totally sums him up in that, you know, I, we talk about all these other characters, but in many ways, the other characters are to a certain extent defined by their interactions with Miles. Right. Like He's in some ways, he, he bangs around and bounces off of them and changes them in ways um, – and he really is – he's, he's a, in some ways, and this will be you know, maybe perhaps somewhat of an ironic turn of phrase, he's larger than life. Um, and, and intentionally so. I mean I think – and I don't know if anybody has ever read um, Dorothy Sayre's uh, Lord Peter Whimsey novels. But I believe um, this is a classic 1930s detective series right. about a nobleman who solves mysteries. If and it was the 1830s, of, Scott might be interested. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it's, it's actually, New York. Yes, it's actually written in the 1930s. Um, a great and incidentally a great series. And and Lord Peter is, I, I believe, one of the inspirations for Miles, and in that he's kind of um, he's an, a nobleman, a sort of idle rich character who solves mysteries. He's very smart, um, and but he looks deceptively like everyone kind of passes him off as a oh he's just you know a fluffy guy. Uh, I was going to mention I think that Miles is my least favorite character in this series just because he annoys me more often than not. Um, yeah, by. I was going to say the same thing. I, I so good. So good for you. Good. To, it's good to be. You're you're nice and provocative. You're more. You're less polite than me. It's good. Well, there you go. I find him like especially the way he treats Ivan always annoys me because Ivan is not doing anything wrong. He always does what Miles asks him to do. But Miles is always fairly nasty to him in his in, inner monologue, which I think is not very nice. He does, grow, you, he does seem to start to grow up. I mean, you've read it as far as I have. And in, in memory, actually, in many ways, uh, Dan was pointing out that the synopsis of that book is really Miles hits 30 and 30 hits back. I love that. <laughs> that is my favorite long line yes. of all time. And and uh, it does, he, there is a sense that, that um, you know, he has to grow up a little bit and, and not be doing all the stupid stuff that he did when he was in his 20s in these other books, right? I mean, he does he, – he, he gets some depth. He grows some depth because he's got some – some uh, complications that make him not as uh, fantastic a person as as he used to be, and he continues to grow well, throughout the mm-hmm. series, which is one of the things I like about. No, him. you still didn't like him in Memory, Scott. No, I didn't really like him. Maybe I'll <laughs> like him in the next eighteen books. And uh, actually, and then... maybe th- maybe you'll find this helpful. I started thinking, and and Horatio Hornblower is a perfect connection here because uh, Captain Kirk was based on Horatio Hornblower too. And there are scenes, especially when Miles is with the mercenary fleet where I can't help but thinking of him as Captain Kirk from the original Star Trek, mm-hmm. from that, that dynamic, I've got a, I've got a crazy idea, but it just might work. And he's, and, and, and everybody else is looking around like, what do you mean Corbomite? That does, that's a made up thing. Why are you telling the alien <laughs> captain that we have a Corbomite device that's going to destroy a ship? And, and Kirk's like, I got this. <laughs> and, and, Nobody worry. And, and, and Miles, that, I think maybe more than any other character in any other book I've ever read reminded me of that classic, uh, which my favorite TV show as a kid, Captain Kirk, that classic kind of roguish but smart but in a weird kind of way and, 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 and a loose cannon. He's kind of, he's kind of the doctor too, right? Mm-hmm. Like to a certain extent. Oh, I don't know. Mm, I don't know about that. He's, really? I think I think there's a I lot of similarities that. between those two characters in terms of they're both extremely smart. <laughs> he's Harry Potter, the Doctor, and Captain Kirk. <laughs> well, wrapped into mean, one. He's he's really smart. He's kind of hyperactive. You know, he's always got a plan, got an idea. I mean, you know, and and everybody else is sort of caught up in his whirlwind. 
Um, right. There, well, there's think, an element of that to, to him that a really... A lot not. of it depends on point of view, I think, because I think it's really interesting. In the first couple novels, we're basically entirely centered around Miles and no one else really gets any chance to speak point of view. And we get to hear his inner monologue all the damn time. Whereas in the later books, we start getting other characters as they see Miles and as they see the situation. There's a couple... like. Or like Quinn, yes, right the mm-hmm. the captain of the of the fleet uh, and his his one time girlfriend, no, no, minor minor spoiler. Oh. You know she she uh, she has a very particular view and she's got a lot of respect and love for him. But um, boy, when you see him through her eyes, he, he's he's a he's a mess and he's a problem. And yeah, he, mm-hmm. he, he he ruins things, right? Well, I think it really depends the characterization. Depending on whose point of view you're paying attention to, because I mean, you get to the later books, and one of one of the characters causes Miles to continually say, "Unpack, okay, I have to unpack," because all of a sudden we're not hearing Miles, you know, He'll stream skip of consciousness. Eight, eight steps ahead, yes, exactly, head, right? Which we'll hear in the earlier books because we get to see all of right. his stream of consciousness. But in the later books, when Everyone we're not following like, him, what are you talking? Exactly, about? we're as confused as he is. Scott, did you, did you not like my Captain Kirk? Uh, Thing or do you not like Captain Kirk either? Is he kind of a jerk too? <laughs> well, I mean, thinking about it, Captain Kirk is kind of a jerk, but I do like Captain Kirk. <laughs> I don't know why. I just Miles just rubs me the wrong way, and maybe in the later novels he will rub me the right way, which doesn't sound right. No, at all, I see. But... But I see what you're saying, though. That, that in I many think that's ways, okay. it, it is not, okay. Yeah. He's a destructive force. Yes. He is, and it, he certainly is a perfect plot device to drive forward a story because he just doesn't stop and. It would, he is a very interesting character, and I I don't hate him, but I just think that he is. N- if he were real, I would not want to know him. <laughs> well, I, I think I agree with that. But. Certainly, no. If if Miles Vorkosigan pulled his starship into my space station, I'd be like, I got a thing. I'm taking my leave now. I am going into the other side of the galaxy. I'll be back. If you're still alive, I'll be back in a few years. But goodbye. Good luck with with this guy. Well, the interesting thing about Miles is um, that that combination of the fact that he is brilliant and he is a, uh, a a loose cannon but he's also got Dan alluded to to it a physical disability he he is um, short he's like five feet tall in a in a uh, in a uh, uh, culture back on Bariar that is uh, basically ab- aborted or killed all uh, all children or babies that showed any physical deformity when they were in their feudal period so he is um, you know he's alive because his mother basically said we're gonna save him. But he yeah. is he is unlike everybody else in his culture, and they all look down on him. And then he's also taken for granted, really, even out in the wider world, because he is he, he's kind of a hunchback and he's short. And although his he has some medical procedures that make him you know slightly taller over time. Well, he, he's he, also he's also extremely fragile, right? He can't. Oh, he's his got bones brittle, are brittle bones, yeah. so he can't. He has a giant he, head. Yes. Well, so he can't head, fight yeah. anybody. He's not a physically imposing right. person. So that's In fact, a fascinating the book, combination. The first book starts with him basically getting drummed out of the the, the military, the military, mm-hmm. which is his. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to live up to his father, who is this great soldier, like right. the ideal and soldier. His grandfather. So, so and he his goes. Grandfather. So he goes over the obstacle course, knowing that when he jumps down the other side, he's going to shatter both the bones and Thank all you. the bones in his legs, and and he does. Thank <laughs> you for mentioning his grandfather, who is yet another great minor character that is somewhat. Uh, question like you Count know Count Vorkosigan. Yes. Do you like him? Do you not like him? But he is a fascinating character. I well, I really quite he is like him. He, and and he is consistent, right? I mean, you've actually yeah. later find out more things about how terrible he terrible things he did at one point when Miles was young. Mm. Yes, but he is at some point also not. Uh, you know, he he has depth to him well, later on. I think taught Miles how to ride a horse. And... Yeah, I find it fascinating. I don't know how much he's in the first two books pre Miles because I still haven't read those two. But even I mean, he's barely oh, in the first book. He's in Barriar. Yeah. yeah. He's barely in the first book, but you still get a tremendous sense of the character and, <laughs> well, and how important he yes, is exactly. to where this whole to Miles and his whole like heritage and everything. Like he is often held up as that ideal, like both his father and his grandfather as that ideal that Miles has like basically the rest the entire like series is to a certain extent Miles trying to live up to this to ideal his grandfather, to yes. both of them to both mm-hmm. his father and his grandfather and and yet he can't in the way that they you know he can't follow their footsteps but he try right. he does tries to make his mark in his own way well, so again it's the about... stride is too long yeah <laughs> oh. wow um, and his grandfather was on a horse so that makes it hard to mm. follow double stride no but he 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 learned how to 
how to how to ride a horse. And no, the grandfather is a very interesting character. And there's that whole feudalism thing too, where he's the mm-hmm. Count Vorkosigan. Um, amusing side note that the counts on Bariar were named for because they were accountants at one point. That I that kills me. But they, they I thought that was fantastic. They were part of the bureaucracy and the accounts. Or no, no, not like counts back on Earth. They they were just the accountants. And then there's Lord Vorkosigan. And then when his grandfather dies, his father becomes Lord and. Or becomes count and he becomes Lord Vorkosigan. Yes, mm-hmm. and there's a whole honor system there, which is interesting. And then when he goes out in the wider wider galaxy, they don't really get the whole honor system, which is fascinating too. And yeah, because my word is Vorkosigan. What? Huh? Right. I mean, he's he's kind of almost a fantasy character to a certain extent, right. stuck in a science fiction universe. Ex- that's a great way to look at it. Absolutely. Well, and it's why, like, I was initially wary of the whole Bariar section because I was kind of like. I don't know about that's, fantasy. Oh no, that's really, it's got well, like a nineteenth uh-huh. century. That's vibe a really good. Or yeah, but it's that's a really good book. No, but well, the thing is, the thing is, Bar-Yard though. Itself. Well, yeah, I haven't read. I haven't read those books, but I. It's on my list after I read it. The end. <laughs> yes. But no, I mean, once once we you get back to yes, I will. Once we get back to Bariar uh, with Miles, I like it. Took me about two chapters, and then I was completely sold. Where you you get All you right. get this you get the greater sense. Like initially, you have the wariness of okay, feudal like feudal worlds with high technology. This is going to be strange. But there's a there's a great short story. Is the Mount, the mountains of morning? Mm-hmm. I think is oh, the yeah. the first mm. the first short story. And that one, you know, again, I went into it really kind of skeptical. Where it's like, okay, this is completely different. This is very backworld as opposed to the hijinks that we have been reading in in war game and stuff like that. Right, it's but, not in space, and it's not in the big city with the spaceport. It's like mm. out in the mountains. There are no technologies. It's in the hill people. Yeah. Live. It's in his the hill life. people, his and there's no life. debauchery. Yes, there is, there is no debauchery whatsoever. No. Uh, but maybe a murder. Or there's two. not even running water. Basically, there's just yeah. like caves. Well, it gives it gives you a very kind of little house on the prairie type feel. Yeah. <laughs> Which, but again, you know, you find yourself being completely entrapped with these characters. Where even though I mean, this short story can't be more. I read it on on iBooks, so I can't imagine it's that long a story. But no. even with the limited page count, these characters are wildly vivid and have a great story to tell, and you get completely enraptured in them. And you get the the sense too about what Miles is up against because that mm. that is a story about an infanticide, and it, and it's about that. Bariaran culture that, you know, by all rights should have, as his grandfather would have advocated, should have killed Miles um, when he was born so that he right. couldn't pass on his his mutation, his, which he actually doesn't have, as right. he likes to point out. Yeah. He's actually <laughs> genetically fine. It was just an in utero uh, complication. Caused by politics, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's nope. true. Attempted assassination. Not a, not a mutant at all. Okay, I'm going to fire off the spoiler horn now. Uh-huh. Not the spoiler, spoiler. Quack. Um, I'm going to fire off the spoiler horn because I wanted to mention one of the interesting things that happens midway through the series, um, which is the fact that that there's a so Miles is li- living a double life. He is Admiral Naismith and he is Lord Vorkosigan, right? Something mm. that starts off by accident. And people and, <laughs> and yeah, but it becomes useful and so that the the secret service says, "Yeah, we're going to fund you sort of and you're going to do this." Um so he's leading a double life. It seems a little implausible. And then we get to Mirror Dance, right? Oh, Where really? all all of a sudden he he's he's in the same place at the same time. Everybody's going to start putting it together, and you think, well, Miles, how are you going to get out of this one? It's finally going to collapse on you. Except <gasps> he does have a double, dun, dun, dun. who has been raised by Komaran terrorists to replace him in some crazy scheme to depose the emperor. And what I love about all of that is that it your standard TV response to that would be that you'd kill the twin. Right. right at the end of the story, right? Right. And instead, mm-hmm. there's like whole books with the twin immediately oh. following, right? <laughs> Mark so. becomes a very important character so, and, he and that. a fascinating <laughs> character as well. So how great – I mean how great is that? that? That they – that she went down this kind of crazy I – mean, Mirror Dance, I love that book because it is so crazy that it's like, OK, they're going to deal with it. Oh, but he's but he's got a real double right. and now the double is being him and now his double is being his double and they don't realize for a while that it's the same guy and – it's. I mean, how it, I couldn't believe it because it, it is such a again a d- departure stylistically because that's like a fa- right, almost farcical. Right. Well, and it becomes all moot to the certain point. Maintaining that that double identity, you know, despite the fact that it seems like oh by the skin of their teeth, right? They managed to maintain it, and then almost immediately 
that's undone in the beginning of memory when, you know, basically mm. <laughs> Miles that in, in a scene that is horrific and yet kind of funny at the same time miles basically uh i won't say exactly shoots himself in the foot but <laughs> maybe shoot someone else in the foot. that's <laughs> right chop somebody's legs yeah. off. i mean oh. kind of accidentally. Who, accident? who hasn't done that who among <laughs> us has not but i mean and all of a sudden everything that he worked so hard to maintain this whole well, double life is kind of pulled the rug so, is basically pulled out from under him yeah but it's it's only pulled out from under him because he lies about it well, yes. yes, and again, it's, because, it's because he's a jerk. Well, he is. He's a, he's a terribly flawed character. So is Mir- is Mirror Dance the book where we meet? No, the- Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms is the book where we meet him, and that's in in England, right? That's on yeah. Earth. They're yes. on Earth. Yes. Yeah. Mirror Dance is the book where Miles is killed in action. Yes. Put yes. on ice. Lost. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. FedEx Mirror Dance to is my favorite location. one. Mirror so dance, far. mirror dance, and memory are kind of tied for my uh, favorite. Memory for and a civil reasons. campaign, which most of you have not read. I, I love a civil campaign. The, the Brothers in Arms, Mirror Dance, Memory, th- those, three those three are so mm. great because because you, you take really Miles off the stage, yeah. you bring in the clone. There's the crazy clone kind of Poor thing. Poor Ivan gets locked in a closet. Yeah. Mm. Taken hostage. Yeah, yeah, right. And then, oh, but yeah. then they, don't kill, they don't kill Mark, his clone, and in fact Mark becomes – vitally important because he's the only Miles that's active at that moment because the other Miles has been killed, frozen, and lost. Yes. Well, and that's the first time you really get Misplaced. to see Cordelia and in in Barriar, not in the first two books. Like you really right. get a chance to see Miles's parents well, in action. Well, and how important her his parents were yes. to his upbringing. Right. You get to see what happens if Miles was brought up without his parents I, and I, you realize yeah. bad, bad things. I, I admit I'm actually – one of the things that disappoints me about the series is that after the first two books, there isn't more of mm. his parents because mm. his parents mm. are fascinating characters yeah, on, yeah. On, on their own right and they and they carried a couple of books so sure. you know but but miles is such a larger than life kind of character there's not really room in mm. some ways right. for them as as major characters but they do play very important parts there they play very important parts in a couple at least one of the other books she can always um, go back and, and and write something that inserts in between the uh, well she's talked about it too. yeah um but i think um that whole that's the point where it shifts, and again, it's appropriate sort of that that's mile hitting thirty. It's a major turning point um and it it the mirror dance sort of inform and and memory, which is the aftermath, as Ren was saying before, you know of this terrible sort of huge this sort of arc comes to end with memory and 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 starting in memory, the whole identity miles's whole identity gets shifted you know with the with the admiral Naismith persona basically you know consigned to the dustbin in some ways um and that's sort of carried forward from there as he in his new role, um, you know, sort of adapts to, well, being being back on Bariar and part of the Bariar culture in many ways. I got to say, again, with the transition to Bariar, when I first found out what memory was about, because I couldn't get it because it was only on web, yeah, scription. web scription. So I was like, oh, Damn that's, yeah, $4. it's like, okay, I'll read, the, I'll read the paragraph on Wikipedia and then go to the next book. And I start, I, I get a chapter into the next book and I'm kind of horrified. And I'm like, wait, no, no, Naismith, what's going on? What? I can't no, handle this. You can't, you can't yeah. skip a book. No, <laughs> I, skipped, I skipped the book and I was, and, and That's so what I got happens in, when you don't pay for the book. I know. It's <laughs> terrible. Well, a lesson to you. And it was, and it was. And I went immediately after reading about a chapter, I was like, okay, I can't do this. My, so my, I went and I found it on Webscription, or rather I had Dan find it for me on Webscription, and then downloaded it and read it all in I will night. tell you a funny story. My, my cousin who recommended to this to me had read all of them and somehow had missed memory, I guess, and then later found it, oh my god, a Vorkosigan book I haven't read, and went in and she's like, now it's my favorite. She's like, I love it. But yeah. it, like at the time, it was like, I know I missed something, but I couldn't quite figure out. Something's different. Something's different. Well, me- memory, different mem- and then, you know, nice kind of uh, that title Right, because Miles has some serious kind of aftermath of his he cuts having off somebody's died. legs, having died and been frozen and then misplaced in the FedEx interstellar FedEx system. Um, it happens. It does. You know, you don't fill out the the bill right, and it goes to some <laughs> crazy planet, um, some crazy crazy planet. So, some. so there's that, and then there's the whole this this other minor character who is Simon Ilian. I love Simon, and he has a malfunctioning memory chip of his own, 
and the chips turning to snot inside my head. Sorry, that yeah. line always sticks with me. <laughs> and, and and that has huge ramifications for everything that's happening in Barrier and what Miles is good for anymore. And and yeah, thirty hits back. But it's 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 great because at that point you've invested so much in the series that seeing changes in like the format of the series well, is exciting. And it's such an orthogonal change in some ways, right? Because you kind of feel like, all right, Miles got sidetracked. He didn't get to go into the military, so he sort of goes off on his own and forms his own mercenary group and then is also sort of working his way up through the insecurity forces at the same time. And you think, oh, well, you know, so his natural progression might be someday he'll end up in charge of the security forces or whatever. And then all of a sudden that takes like a left yeah. turn. He gets kicked he, out. Right. And he kind of, you know, being Miles, figures out a, a loophole and, a, and, a, and an opening somewhere for him. Right. And then gets offered the job and doesn't take it. Right. <laughs> But How many ways does she, she zigs? She zigs when you think right. you should. Right. She should zag, which is great. It's yeah, and, unexpected. And he is. He is finds something. He finds his calling in life. I think finally, mm. you know, despite all these sort of you know great opportunities he's taken along the way in these jobs, I think ultimately he finds the position that that he is perfectly suited for, which is the a sort of official troublemaker. <laughs> That's true. I, I did like memory, but I thought that it was uh, like within, you know, three chapters of reading it, I knew who did it and I knew what was going to happen at the end. <laughs> so I was a little... Uh, I mean, it's definitely more straightforward a mystery than some of the other things, like especially coming a, off Mirror Dance. There was but. a red herring. You know, there was it was sort of an A or B or C, I guess. There may be a couple of red herrings. But, right. uh-huh. but at the same know, time... I, I thought it was so obvious that it couldn't have been the answer and it actually was the answer. So. Ah, that's that's what she was going that's for. Out, it was so obvious. Well, and and I, guess, I guess to me the plot was not the central part that, that interested right. me so it's much about, as the character It's about Miles that's what I love reintroducing about himself back to Barrio. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is over. Scott, <laughs> Scott McNulty the last judge word. Scott McNulty has ruled. All right, yeah. I'll be going wrong. now. Um, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to f- I'm going to fire off the all clear because um, we have a little bit more time. But I wanted to I wanted to bring back um, a, a few things for people who are not necessarily indoctrinated with the entire Vorkosigan series. Uh, one one order of business is the reading order, which I wanted to ask everybody about, um, and especially Dan, who's so well versed in this, and Ren, who did it, who did it in a different order. A- any idea about how would you advise people read this series? Where do you start if you haven't read any of these books and you're intrigued by what we've said? Where do you start if you're already intrigued? And you know, I think I said I recommend the Warriors of Press to a lot of people, and that's because sometimes I have you know. It's difficult to sell people on it, and it's definitely more of an adventure book, and I think it, a lot of people get into it faster that way. But, you know, if you're already kind of intrigued and looking to try it out, I say start at the beginning. Cordelia's um, Honor. Start at Cordelia's Honor, Shards of Honor, whatever yeah. you can find, um, and start and go through it chronologically because I think you get much more out of it reading everything in order. And that includes there are three or four short stories that are sort of sprinkled in between, but come at specific places. And it's important, I think, to read them in those specific places because they play very heavily into what some of the subsequent stories are about. And when I read it, unfortunately, I tried to sort of do that um, because the short stories had been collected into a volume called Borders of Infinity, which is also the name of one of the short stories in the volume, which is Ooh. confusing. Um, and I'm going to need a chart. Yes. And in fact, to make it more confusing, that short story collection has a framing story that that connects those three short stories, which is of Miles in a hospital bed sort of relating these stories to Simon Ilian. Um, and but the problem at the same time story. solving a yeah. mystery, <laughs> there is a Ooh. plot to the framing story. However... It's very. You, I think it's very hard to find that short story collection as it is because the short stories have now been folded into the omnibuses in the correct chronological order. Right. Just do that. You will miss out on that framing story, but honestly, it's not so important that it will play. Well, into on later top ones. of that, the framing story actually comes after Brothers in Arms. I think. Yeah, it's in which a weird. Is, it's it's in very a really confusing. weird. Order. So I tried to read them jumping back and forth, literally. Like I would put down one book. All right, let me read this short story. Okay, <laughs> let me go to this other book. All right, let me go back to the short story. Wait, but I had yeah. to start reading the short this story is, here. This is why the omnibus collection is probably the best. I, I would highly recommend useful. the omnibuses, um, A, because they're easy to find, um, B, because they put things in the correct order, and C, because I don't think you can get a lot, other than the ebook format, I don't think you can get a lot of the uh, single volumes in print. And and Ren, you so you've read them and in, in, skipped over the initial one. I skipped over the initial two, but apart from that, I've read them in chronological right. order as best as I could. Uh Short stories, I will reiterate, are really important. And there are two books, I think, Ethan of Athos and um, uh, Falling Free, which 
are not Miles centric, and uh, the latter one, Falling Free, is not even characters we know centric because it's set 200 years in the past. And those two initially seem like, oh, those are easy ones to skip over because they don't directly relate to the plot. But Falling Free really focuses on something that's going to happen in the what what book is that? Is that civil diplomatic community. diplomatic immunity? And that's I feel like that's really important for diplomatic immunity. I have not read Falling Free. Yes, I know. <laughs> I, I'm, to my I, I have read shame, I have only... read a Borgosican book that Dan Warren has it's not, not which I really think is hilarious. It is it is well, so. I, I'll say this: I wish I hadn't read Ethan of Athos because it's, it's crappy. It's it's <laughs> a little weird, but I but at the same time I it's argue terrible. that it. it it has backstory to to Quinn. Yeah, to a little Quinn. bit of Quinn. A yeah. little bit of Quinn, which I think. Uh, well, I think it's interesting because up till then, we only know her as kind of a nameless face. You know, <laughs> literally, yes. literally a <laughs> <Yeah. faceless> face. <laughs> I was trying to be vague since we don't have the spoiler horn on. But oh, I mean, yes, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, Those who eventually well played, read it will Scott. get that joke. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I, I read it in chronological order, which I highly, highly recommend because it yeah. makes everything make sense. Yeah, I mean, she she built up a following for these books and then decided she would dive back into parts of the storyline. And, and and so, you know, the major points in, in Miles' life seem to appear sort of in order, but there are other pieces that she went kind of went back with. But if you're just discovering it now, it, you know, it, it makes more sense to read it in that in the order of Miles's timeline and not in the order that she wrote them. There are some quirks. Dan and I were talking about this the other day that that the Cetagondans are this kind of mystery uh, group of humans who have their their empire and they're kind of scary and they're the baddies. And then there's a book called Cetagonda where they go to Cetagonda and Miles has a, an, adventures as he does. And um, one of the funny things about it is I read that and then they appear again in uh, one of the short stories. And the view of them is very different in that because it was obviously written well before she decided to write a novel about who they are and what their culture is. So it's a little bit – that's the one the one seam where I really noticed it. But otherwise, I'm I'm really happy to have been able to follow Miles and his life and his progression instead of um, hopping around, which I think would be con- confusing. Um, Cryoburn, the new book in the series, comes with a CD. And one of the funny things about the publisher is that the publisher has declared that as long as you don't sell it, you are free to distribute this CD any way you see fit. So, of course, people have posted it on the internet and it's legal. And as a result, essentially, they have given away every book in the series except for memory which mm-hmm. we all just raved about, so you're mm-hmm. going to have to buy that one. Um, so so this is this is the good news here, right, is that if, if what we've said interests you, you actually can go out and get these books in EPUB or PRC or PDB or whatever. You can get it in whatever, pretty much every format, or in, uh, HTML. Yeah. yeah, and put it on whatever device you want. If you want to do the, e, the e-reader thing, the Scott McNulty thing, I should say. I think that wanna, collection even includes a... Uh, the Vorkosigan Companion, mm-hmm. which it does. is co- it does. which I actually own a hardcover copy of, which includes a bunch of essays and nerd. interesting. I am a total, total nerd. I actually printed them all out and read them. Because <laughs> you're well known to taste for ebooks. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, you do lose lose track of the fact of how long they are. And you're just, you know, cruising you're along just, at 30%. Exactly. You're just suspended pages. in the stream. That's right. That's which right. I kind of like. Yeah, well, I, Scott said that he read a bunch of them in a row. I actually read all of them up to memory in a row with no other books that I read. And then I paused and said, you know, I got, I got to read The Dream of Perpetual Motion. I got to read uh-huh. How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, which we covered in a previous podcast. I got to read some other stuff. I'm going to mix it up, take a little break from Miles before I'm going on a trip. I'll probably jump back in. But um, it was kind of nice to take a little break. But it was so much fun to read whatever that is, eight books all in a row with that kind of sprawling saga of uh, these and, and I love long series and I think that's part of what got me really into it was I just I enjoy seeing characters develop over a long period of time yeah. in that sort of epic scale same reason I like TV shows I think that it's you get a kind of depth that you don't necessarily get in a movie or in a one shot um, and so that's that's kind of, it's fun and it's it's nice to feel rewarded as a reader um, when there are references to things, um, occasionally at oblique ones, um, to things that have happened before, you think, ah, ah, I get that. Yeah. I get that. That's a joke. That's, I, it's, it's, a, it's a nice feeling. Yeah, yeah. And 
I, I was intimidated when I saw those things on the Hugo list. I thought, oh God, it's a series and all that. But it's it's good. It's a lot of fun. And so I think people shouldn't be shouldn't be terrified by the fact that it's a series. And you can, you know, if you read that first omnibus and then maybe the uh you know, that that first book with Miles, I think you're gonna find that it's a lot of fun. And and they are self contained in the sense that, you know, it's not as if they're it's not like those George R. R. Martin books, yes. the, the the Game uh. of Thrones, which I love, but they, they have no ending. They right. just continue. They they just, he doesn't recap really. It just starts yeah. and you're like, I have no idea who any no, of these characters I, are. I don't I know what's going two, on. I read two or three of those in a row, and again, you could not even really tell. Other than the fact that there's kind of a climax and a right. series of cliffhangers, you can't really but it's, tell. It's one long story as opposed to being episodes right. in this yes. person's mm-hmm. life. And yes. that's what this that's that's what these are, which means that you shouldn't feel to get back to another topic of many of our podcasts. The the idea that what you you get you got ripped off. You got to the end and you got to buy the next book to find out what happens. Right. Not the case at all with the Vorkosigan novels, and that's nice because I think it means that you can try them out without fear that you're going to get the shaft. Well, she even said, I mean, she wrote a lot of these so that they could be easy jumping in points for people who had no prior knowledge of what the heck sure. was going on. In any order, I think you could probably appreciate some of them. Not necessarily all of them, but some yeah. of them you could probably. They definitely excel order. when you should, presented you should in start chronological with Ethan order. Of Athos. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you've ever asked yourself what would happen if men <laughs> invented a device that would allow them to have children without the participation of women and could create an all-male society, if you've ever wondered if there could be a great science fiction novel that explored <laughs> these gender roles, Ethan of Athos is sadly not that novel because it's Ooh. not very good. Though I will say that that technology, which plays a major part in much of the rest in of Miles's the series, story, um, really, is, and, in, and in much of Bariar's development, you know, yes. that's a big deal. I think that is one of her intrigues like like we were talking about earlier, I think Scott was saying, it's something that kind of floats underneath the surface there. She doesn't necessarily draw a lot of attention to think how important it would be if we invented this thing. Um, right. But it plays a lot of important parts and gets you to think about, huh, what would the impact of this particular technology if, be? If women didn't need to carry fetuses to term and yeah. you could just stick them in a in a metal box and then the baby comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. Well, the and capital we, T. And we, I was thinking, what else have we have we not talked about that we should make sure to get on? My, my thing that I, I thought of was uh, we didn't really talk about the difference between the cultures of – again, one of the things I love about the John Barnes thousand cultures, um, those are actually sort of earth cultures transplanted to other planets. Here what you've got is these cultures that have evolved over time on these different planets based on the – the, the politics and the, the the movement of the of the technology, which I really like, the fact that there are backwaters and that there's bits of territory that can be, you know, that that you know, the politics are of the universe, not just of Barrier, but of the universe, of the galaxy, are very interesting. And because of the structure of the, you've got jump points, and some places are backwaters, and some places are are, are transfer points. Um, but the culture, especially of the Batons mm-hmm. of Beta Colony, which is where Miles's mom is from, and of Barayar, where his dad is from. Fascinating because the ba- the Batons are on one level you think, well, they're kind of more like us, and then you realize they're really not They've gone like us. They're much are, beyond. They, us. they are. They and the Barayarans are both polar opposites of kind of each other, and are headed in different directions from our kind of culture, modern culture, uh, which is fascinating. So you've got this kind of regression and this strange progression, and I, I think that's kind of fascinating. You look the, at the it Batons. kind of as a liberal, conservative kind of view, but it goes it goes wildly more off it's the not, spectrum. It's not quite that simple. <laughs> yeah, but. no, not not at all. Well, this book is not about black and white, right? But they're they're you know the Batons are kind of hedonistic, and they they have all their babies are carried in these in these metal boxes, and and they are. Yeah, they're wild and crazy, and they've got a third gender who's yep. walking around, and and then the Baryarans are are these you know sort of Russian, yeah. <laughs> serious Slavic Russian kind of people, and they're in their their feudalism in the background, and they've got their kind of low slung buildings and their hard scrabble and uh, you know cities, and and they've lived for a couple hundred years to completely cut off, and and they're kind of grumpy about this new technology, which is really interesting. Well, you also look at the kind of the anarchists at Jackson's Hole, which I think is a nice kind of third party to this. Right, right. Where you have, you know, this series of – are they – is it satellites? It's planets. Libertarians. Yeah, it's mostly yeah. – well, The Baronies, the, the, the Baron – the different four Barons oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Barons. Oh, the well, and they're all – yeah, the they're houses, in charge right. of, you know – 
black market weapons and and it, e- illegal genetic it's trading. The, it's the where you can get anything. It's, it's the yeah. It's the most isolated right. of this universe. And then you've got the Cetagandans yep. who are who are this you know strange. They're the genetic engineers, and it's this incredibly complicated culture that I would imagine. It reminded me of a lot of stories about sort of the mystery of the Orient when people mm-hmm. when when mm-hmm. Western explorers went to China or Japan and, mm-hmm. and were like, what the hell is going on? I don't understand anything that these people are doing. It's like that. It's almost like hard to understand the complexity of the culture from mm-hmm. the outside and gradually you kind of figure it yeah. out but it's it's you know and the fact that they're all genetically engineered and the entire right. culture is about genetic engineering in a way that is in some ways completely outrageous right. to the extent they take it and, they're, and again and, they're sort of not necessarily judgments about the 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 culture is good whole, or bad there's a lot of shades of gray well and then you throw in you know i know you guys most of you have not read kumar but like we you get you get hints of the kumarans early in some of the earlier books right, right. and who they are which is basically a culture that you know in, in many ways was oppressed and and conquered well they got conquered cuz right. they, they cuz they're they're like poland they're like in the way of yeah. everybody's but you get a little more everybody's goal you get a little uh-huh. a little more interest in them start in kumar and more background on what the whole planet and what that whole culture is like which is also very interesting in its own way. Given that Miles's father is is known as the butcher of Komar, and mm. that and that Mark was raised by <laughs> yeah. a Komaran. Let right? me tell you, it doesn't go well. Uh, <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. If, you get, if you get that nickname, yeah, that's a bad sign. Yes. Anything else we should talk about about the Vorkosigan? Saga that's something that we haven't mentioned that, that's on your I, mind. I would like to can I can I put in a brief plug for one of her other books, which Ju- is not Judge uh, McNulty. Can can he? Uh, I will allow it. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, she has written uh, another uh, another fantasy series, um, at least the first two books of which are, are quite good, uh, The Curse of Chalion. Um, and if you're interested in fantasy and uh, a sort of an interesting take, and again, I think what's kind of cool is that she takes these uh, these books are – from a, an interesting perspective, the characters are very interesting. So I would I would recommend the Curse of Chalion and its follow up, the Paladin of Souls, both of which are are interesting fantasy. What kind of fantasy is that? Is that like uh, is it a, a, like magic or swords or dragons? Or... Yeah, there's a little bit of magic. Um, but I think again, what's really interesting is the culture. Um, right. This this one's pinned largely on there's a universe of with, with five gods, and she has sort of said that her idea was to write. Um, five books, each of which represents one of these five gods or is told from the point of view of a character who is in some way thematically linked to oh. one of the gods. And she has finished three of them. I thought the first two were quite good. The third one lagged a little bit for me. And she has said, well, I keep thinking about the fourth and fifth, but she hasn't quite nailed down where what they are about yet. But I think she will she will get to them at some point. Scott, Ren, do you have any uh, any other thoughts about Vorkosigan? The books are great. They're good. Yeah, they They're, are. They are good. Even though I don't like the main character, I enjoy the books. Now that's still an endorsement. Hmm. It yeah, is. it is a lot of fun, and I think there's something to be said for that. That's the, the same reason I read a. Uh, I've read a bunch of uh, Jack McDevitt's sci-fi, which is, you know, ne- not going to win any awards for prose styling, but it's interstellar spaceship mystery kind of stuff, and it's fun. It's great, and I felt I had that kind of vibe. The, they're better written than yeah. the McDevitts, but but I had that same kind of vibe where it's 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 such a a joy to read them, and uh, and, and I think for me good. that that's what it comes down to is they're, they're stories that I love, and you know I could <laughs> certainly a lot of my writing has been influenced by by her her books, and all of your stories feature short characters yeah. that just barrel yeah. through. You know, Actually, that explains a lot. A- after reading <laughs> these books, I, I I saw the connections in uh, Resurrection Men, which is one of yours, Dan. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I think a lot of it is sort of homage. Part of it's homage. Part of it's just I really enjoy the fun aspect of yeah. it. I want, mm-hmm. you know, I love reading a good romp. And I think all, all these books can be classified that and, and they have another level to them, yes. which is great. If you want to look deeper, there's there's certainly stuff there. But even if you just want to take it at the surface value of a fun adventure, you know, swashbuckling type adventure, then then you can do just that. That's right. Your buckle will be swashed. There's no doubt the, about it. Or your swash out. will be buckled. Exactly. Who knows? Yeah. I did. I was reading tomato. an interview with uh, Bejold where she they were asking her, you know, how do you write this and what's your your process? And she said that uh, she thinks to herself when she gets to a point. Of action. What's the worst possible thing that could happen to this character? <laughs> and then that's what she does. And as I was reading the books, you could clearly see yes. that thought process. You have that moment of, oh, no. What's she going to do to Ivan this time? Oh. Uh, or oh, Ivan. Ivan. Speaking so- of Ivan, yes. I, I went to a reading by Bujol, uh last year, and she read a brief excerpt of a forthcoming book, which she has not finished yet or had not finished at the time, which is centered on Ivan. 
which I'm That's quite awesome. looking forward to since he is a an interesting character. And my, I will I will leave with my favorite my favorite description of him, which I think might be Cordelia saying, he may be the smartest one of us all. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a bit of housekeeping before we go. The next book in the book club is indeed going to be The Dream of Perpetual Motion. That'll be in a few weeks. Read it, people on the not 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 you, dear listener. <laughs> he's I'm looking at, at Dan. He's looking at me. Uh, read it. It is. And it is quite different. It is. Than, uh, I will have to it, shift it my is. gears. <laughs> it is, and there is a zeppelin in it, and it there is. is um, it zeppelin? is beautiful, actually. I, I I'm still processing it myself, but I, I it is beautifully written and very interesting, and has a very strange ending. Um, but but enough of of that. That's next time. And then looking out a little further. Um, we're also going to talk about um, Ted Chang and stories of your life and others and some other short stories by him. So you might want to check that out if you haven't read that yet. And I think we also have a fantasy podcast in our future where we're going to talk about um, some fantasy stuff, including George R. R. Martin and, mm-hmm. and uh, the Game of Thrones, Ooh. along with some other stuff. So until then, until next time, I'd like to thank my guests, Dan Morin, who brought this upon us all. Thank you for recommending this series. It's delightful. You are so welcome, and I'm glad that you all enjoyed it, except for Scott. Uh, you, you're, you're not glad I enjoyed it? I'm not glad you enjoyed it, Scott. Mm. But, 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 Scott, you did enjoy it, right? I did, in fact, enjoy it. So thank you for sharing your love, and, and, and I know breaking down and admitting that Dan recommended something good, because I know that's hard. Last time ever. <laughs> it, it, is, it is tough. Dan is my arch nemesis. It is. True. He used to just be your nemesis, but I think you killed your arch nemesis, right? So he had to dance to that Upgraded. side. Open, open slot. Yeah. Yep. It yeah. happens. Good on you. Upward mobility. Scott, yeah. That's, I, have, I have a, a nemesis tournament bracket system. So, uh, <laughs> so the ELO ranking March of Madness. Dan Warren has gone up. He's now. Yes. All right. All right. And uh, Serenity Caldwell, thank you for joining us in this in this fine madness. Thank to you. These I'm going to go leave and read the rest of Cryoburn now. Wow. Wow, I'm way behind now. Until next time, I hope we've provided you with lots of things to think about and read on the Incomparable Podcast. I'm Jason Snell. Tune in next time. Thanks for listening.